Hey, and welcome to the CCWC podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. God is so good. And as we walk through these fault lines together and kind of look at the opportunity to uh, rely upon God for our strength, the opportunity to be able to, to have a, a different focus, a different perspective. It's interesting to note that in all of it, God's at work, attempting to bring goodness, attempting to bring joy, attempting to bring an opportunity for us to experience something different than the circumstances that we might currently be in. This morning, we look at another fault line, possibly one that for many of us have, has been a specific storm or has been a storm in our life, and that is the, the storm of or the fault line of conflict. All of us have experienced conflict to some extent, possibly uh, some more than others, and maybe sometimes we bring it on ourselves, sometimes it comes uh, unexpectedly, sometimes maybe it comes as a result of, of, of a loved one or a friend or the actions of someone else. But inevitably in life, we're going to experience conflict. Sometimes conflict or trouble finds us. Sometimes it finds us in our weakness. Sometimes it finds us unexpected. Several years ago, I was at a, at a retreat or a, a conference with some pastors, and we were down in Atlanta. And we got there. Uh, we went to the first day of the conference, and then we checked into our hotel, and we recognized that we didn't have any, any snacks, and a couple of guys had recognized they forgot this or forgot that, and we decided to go to a nearby Walmart. And so we went to the Walmart, and, and while we were there, we're kind of shopping, we're going from place to place. We separated from each other just to kind of go to the different places that we needed to to get the different things we needed. Some went to snacks, and some went to get shampoo or whatever else was needed. And I didn't really have a need, but I decided I would just kind of go along too to, to hang out with everybody else. And uh, so I'm walking around, and, and a person I didn't recognize came up and was very friendly and said, hey, how are you doing? And I said, good. And he kind of struck up a conversation. And after a few minutes of talking, he said, hey, would you mind helping me out on something? I thought, well, sure, yeah, I'll, I'll help you out. You know, we're here at a pastor's conference. I'm a pastor. This is a, an opportunity to be able to help someone. And we began to talk, and he said, I've got this item that I can't return because I don't have my ID with me. I thought, well, I got my ID. No problem. Like, I'll help you out. Some of you know where I'm going already. <laughs> and so I walked with him to uh, the, the, uh, the customer service area, and I had the item with me. And he's like, I don't have the receipt. I'm just going to kind of wait over here while you go and do the return. I thought, okay, yeah, no problem. So I, I, I'll be right back. And I went in, and I, 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 I well, went to the counter. And typically, they're the last for the receipt. And they did. And I said, I don't have it, but, you know, I have the item. Is that okay? And so they kind of gave me a look and thought, okay, kind of looked me up and down. I don't know. But I, all right, I, I guess we'll do the return. And so they did the return. I said, well, you know, it's, it's a certain amount of money. So we're going to put it on a store credit, a, a, a gift card kind of thing. And I said, oh, that, that's okay. I mean, it didn't really matter to me. Um, one way or another, and, and I didn't ask the gentleman, you know, how he paid for it, and so I thought, well, that, that'll be fine. So we had to put on a, a gift card, and I was, you know, feeling good about myself. That that's really good. I'm glad that I was able to help this guy out, and I walked back out to where he was, and I said, here's your gift card, and he was kind of like, thank you, and almost immediately was like out the door. He was just gone. I thought, well, you know, maybe it was an angel in disguise that I was entertaining angels, right? 
And as I began to leave, now let me just tell you, this is this kind of Walmart. The security guard like kind of stops me for a moment. I thought, huh, there aren't security guards in Walmarts where I'm from, but it's all right. And he began to talk to me and ask me some questions. And, and uh, after a good 10 minutes of me kind of telling him, look, this was a total mistake, I found out that the item was actually stolen. That's why there was no receipt, right? And that I had been used as kind of a tool to be able to help this guy rip off the store. Now, let me tell you, that didn't go on my record. I felt good about that. But oftentimes in life, trouble might find us, even in unexpected ways, even in ways to which we believe we're doing the right thing or helping someone else out. And it's interesting to note and kind of think about these uh, these kind of funny stories, these funny things. Uh, it's also interesting to note that sometimes the result isn't so funny or comical. Sometimes the result is deeply impactful. Sometimes the, the result is deeply difficult for us and has a lasting consequence, a lasting impact on our life, on the lives of the people that are around us. Now, we may encounter conflict or trouble in many different ways, maybe through relationships or family, maybe through our neighbors or our business dealings, maybe we do, uh, you know, somewhere else, in, in school, whatever it might be, and the reality is we can't travel through life without experiencing some type of conflict. And whether you've experienced conflict in the past and you're still struggling with it, you are right now, or maybe something in the future, it is, will, or going to happen. The million-dollar question to all of this is, how are you going to handle conflict when it comes? How will you handle conflict in your life when it comes? Today, we're going to look specifically at the life of Joseph. Now, if you saw on the note guide at the top, it says Genesis 37 to 50. I'm not going to read 14 chapters this morning. I did parse it down even more. I'm not going to read even as much as I had originally. This is not Joseph, the, the father of Jesus, though he did walk through some conflict himself. Instead, this is Joseph that had the really cool coat, the one that spent some time in jail, the one that was up and down and all around. He experienced probably more conflict than many others or most others in Scripture. The backstory for Joseph is that he came from a large family, had lots of siblings, and from these, this, this interaction that he had and this, this family that he grew up in, a father that had uh, children with other wives, he somehow became the favorite. In fact, we're going to read about that in a moment. But as we look at the conflict in his life, it started with the action, the favoritism, so to speak, of a father. It went through his interactions, the skills that he was given from God, the way that he used those, the, I would say, gifts from God and the way that he was either in the right place at the right time or the wrong place at the wrong time. So believe it or not, there is a great deal of conflict in Scripture. I don't know if you know this or not. And today as we look at these, this conflict, I want to I uh, kind of impress upon three specific things as it pertains to conflict. The root of conflict, the root, the rot of conflict, what takes place when we engage in conflict in the wrong way, and then the resolution of conflict in a scriptural, biblical way. And so we're going to look at the life of, of, of Joseph and then some other passages along the way. The conflict arose early on in Joseph's life, and we'll start in the beginning, not quite at chapter 1, but we'll start in the beginning of Joseph's um, right, or Joseph's story. 
Starting in chapter 37, I'm going to read just the first four verses to kind of set the frame, to set the stage. Jacob, which is his father, lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks, and his brothers, the sons of Bila and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought his father a bad report about them. So right here we already see there's probably, a, a partially there's a reason why he's the favorite because he brought forth this bad report. He's the one that, that opened up to his dad. He's the one that told him everything. He's the one that maybe uh, some might call the tattletale, right? And probably for good reason. Verse 3, it picks up, it says, Now Israel loved Joseph more, this is Jacob, when he says Israel, loved more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe, an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that his father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. So right here in the beginning, this is the first four verses of Joseph's account here in Scripture. We see that he has a lot of siblings and his dad loves him. He's a favorite, but they can't stand him. He's in a difficult place. He's in a place where specifically the, the first thing that comes out is that conflict uh, comes from is jealousy. There's jealousy from his, his brothers. There's jealousy from, from, from those who are supposed to be within his close-knit group. Jacob, uh, he didn't hide the fact that he favored Joseph and, and above his other sons. In fact, he gave him this richly ornate robe, this, 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 this symbol of love and, and compassion, this symbol of saying, look, I, I exalt you. I give you everything. You are my favorite. And naturally, the thing that came, and we see this even now today in the context of families where there's a little bit of um, either uh, rightly placed or maybe misunderstood favoritism, you always let them get away with this, or the rules didn't apply to them, right? We see that kind of favoritism maybe somewhere here or there. We recognize that jealousy rears its ugly head, right? Are you following me? Okay, just checking. Consequently, Joseph's brothers were jealous and they hated him. But Joseph, at this point, um, you know, it, it added fuel to the fire because in verses 5 through 9, as the story continues, Joseph, having these gifts from God, has this gift of a dream. And in that dream, in that dream, God reveals to him that his brothers uh, symbolically are going to bow down to him. His brothers are going to bow down to him. And the thing that Joseph maybe didn't have a lot of wisdom in this place yet. He's a young guy. He's only 17. He tells his brothers about the dream. They're fanning the flame even more of their jealousy and their frustration. So the conflict among siblings can be intense. And we recognize that. Parents obviously should guard against revealing favoritism or showing any kind of favoritism. But here, it's already taken place. And so as they walk through this, jealousy is already there. And jealousy typically manifests itself through these types of situations. But it also has a response. Typically, when someone is jealous, has an, an unbiblical, non-biblical form of jealousy, there will be some type of response, some type of action that takes place. And that action is seen as things move forward. In fact, it's seen and, and played out in the second point, which is injustice. 
And injustice takes place. Now, Joseph will become no stranger to injustice. There'll be plenty of injustice in his life. And as, as uh, chapter 37 moves on, starting back down in, in verse 12, uh, his brothers are out uh, grazing their flocks. They're out with the, with the sheep. They're doing the work that they were told to do. And, and he was sent out to go find them, sent out to go find his brothers. Now, this wasn't just kind of around the corner or down the block. This was a, a journey away. And so he was away from the protective guard of his, of his dad and anybody else who would have been watching out for him. When he finally found them, they saw him coming first. And I'm going to pick up in verse 18, chapter 37, verse 18. It says, but they saw him in the distance and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Now the story would be cut short if they were successful, but think about this already. Their jealousy had brought them to a place of where they were going to perform an injustice of taking their brother's life. That's conflict. If you wanted to define it, if you wanted an example of it, that's conflict. In verse 19, it continues, it says, Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. As if to say, he had this dream, these prophetic dreams that we're going to bow down to him. Well, if he's dead, we won't be able to bow down to him because he'll be gone. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe that he was wearing. And I'm sure that they were doing so with just such, just such hate and, 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 and frustration and, and, and just desiring to, to strip him, not just physically the robe, but also of the, of the, the, uh, the, 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 the pomp and, and, and the, 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 the pride that his father had clothed him with. As they sat down to eat the meal, excuse me, so they uh, so when Joseph came, they stripped him down, and they took him from, and they threw him into a cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it, which is a good thing. Therefore, he didn't drown. Verse uh, 25 says, as they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from, Ge- from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? As if to say, hey, look, we could get something out of this. You know, right now, if we just get rid of him, it's over with. But what if we were to profit from this situation? Uh, Verse 27, come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by his brother's by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. It's interesting. There's so much symbology in here. You see the, the spices, the myrrh, the, the, the amount of silver. It, it's interesting. But as we kind of walk through this, I want to take a couple of things specifically to highlight. First one is this underneath the injustice. The first one is the brothers sold Joseph into slavery. Not only did they get rid of him, but they sold him into slavery. They put him into a place where they deemed was appropriate, where they deemed was where he belonged. It wasn't on the pedestal where they were going to bow down to him, but instead they put him not just as an equal or as one of them. They took him out of the family and said, okay, you will now be a slave to a foreign people. That symbology that we talked about just a moment ago or that I talked about, it, it points to Jesus. 
And today, I I can't help but recognize the way that God works things out and how today we're going to celebrate a moment. We're going to reflect upon this moment uh, through communion, through that portion of the service. That is exactly what took place as Jesus came and and was, was, was given away as a sacrifice, not just as an equal to us, but also uh, subservient as, as, a, as, a, as, uh, as a sacrifice for all to come. So to summarize, Jacob uh, dispatched Joseph on a mission to go find his brothers, to see how they were doing, uh, and a sharp conflict that had struck him came to a head as his brothers plotted to literally kill him. They plotted to, to kill him. And then instead of killing him, his brothers, they, they were convinced to, to take him uh, out of the dry cistern, to sell him. And later his brothers thinking, you know, after they had rescued him, his brothers thinking, look, here is a way that we can make some money on the demise of our brother. That trade is, uh, it's not in favor of the one that's actually involved. Yeah, it might have favored the brothers. You know, I, I, I once heard uh, of a trade in Major League Baseball where a player was literally traded for, for 20 maple bats. Like that's, if you're a baseball player, you at least want it to be for another player or for cash or for something. He was traded for equipment, essentially. Joseph was, was traded for some spices, for a little bit of, uh, a little bit of uh, encouragement to these guys but so much more. Because Joseph wasn't just traded for the, the, the items that they received, the silver that they received. He was also traded for the fulfillment of what God had planned, had in store. The dreams were still to come true. What an injustice, though. I mean, Joseph was, 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 was not deemed to deserve this, that this type of treatment and here's the deal. It doesn't stop there. You think, okay, well, now he's a slave. He's going to have to try to work through this. And as we move forward into chapter uh, 39, I'll start in verse 1. It, it reads like this. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought him from the Ishmaelites who had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. And so now he's, he's sold into slavery. He's living in Egypt. The Lord was with Joseph so that uh, he prospered and he lived in a house of the Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his, in his eyes and became his attendant. So now he's starting to gain favor as a result of his connection to the one true God. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not, con- he did not concern himself with anything, anything except the food he ate. What, what, did a, what an interesting story. This is one of those, you know, custodian to CFO type situation. This is the climbing the corporate ladder. And, and here we see Joseph, because of the favor of God, because of the presence of God, because of who God is and what he does, he brought him to this place. And interesting enough, one might read the story and say, hey, that's the true redemption story. It worked out. Everything worked out perfectly. Now Joseph is going to be here. His brothers may come one day or he may return. They'll bow down and everything's fulfilled, right? Why don't we keep reading? We'll find out if that's right or not. 
It's interesting when something happens, and we recognize this even now in, in the spiritual realm, anytime we take a step forward in faith, Satan is always there to attack. And he didn't Uh, He didn't pass on the opportunity here once again. But the amazing thing about Satan's attacks is God always uses them for good. I mean, you look at specifically at at the Easter, the Passion uh, Week itself, you look at the Easter holiday, when, 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 when Satan thought he had won after killing the Savior of the world, after killing the Son of God, when he thought he had won, he only did the thing that, 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 that needed to happen, and that is to bring forth an opportunity for a risen Savior. And here again we see things that are happening, things are good. And we, I'm going to jump down to, to, uh, to verse um, 11 here and read. It says, One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the, none of the household servants were inside. Potiphar's wife, she is what this says here. I skipped a few verses. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. This guy, I I tell you what, I don't know what the temperature was. He shouldn't wear coats, right? Just don't wear robes. And you you know, it would, it would change a lot of things, but he left his cloak there with her. Verse 13, it says, when he saw that he had left his cloak in her hand, when she had saw that he, and had run out of the house, she called her household servants Look, she said to him, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. And when he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. The, the, the devi- I mean, which is worse, these brothers who, who plotted to kill him and then sold him, or this, this woman who, who couldn't, get her, couldn't have her way, and so she literally kept the cloak beside her until her husband came. The, at this point, the Hebrew slave you brought, this is what she says, the Hebrew slave that you brought, came, brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard this story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Once again, and the king's prisoners were a little different than the rest, but a little bit worse. And once again, we see conflict arise in Joseph's life. And after this second time, you know, the first time he had a a good spirit about him, he kind of walked forward, he did what he was supposed to do, and he kind of worked his way back up because of his faith to the Lord. You'd think maybe this time, God, you know what? I did it your way, and here's what happened. He may withdraw, he may step away, but instead he continues forward. The second point is Potiphar's wife falsely accused Joseph. We see that specifically. We know the way that it's recorded. We believe in Scripture. We know this is exactly what happened. We see once again that he is slighted, and he's done so this time by this deviant wife. Another injustice takes place in Joseph's life. Another thing happens, and consequently Potiphar threw Joseph into prison. Have you ever suffered unjustly? Think about this for a moment. Have you ever suffered unjustly? Somebody accused you of something. Somebody threw you aside. Somebody did something to to undermine your authority, to undermine who you are, what you do, what God's call is on your life. Have you ever wondered why God would allow this injustice to take place in your life? God, I've followed you faithfully. 
God, I've, I've, been, I've had my head down. I've been about your business. I haven't done wrong. I've followed you. I've done what you've asked me to do. Maybe you're even questioning. You know, Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. Maybe you've questioned that. Maybe you've thought, God, is that verse, is that one that doesn't apply to me? Is that verse one that only applies to people that I see that are having a great life and everything's going well for them? Maybe it doesn't apply to me. Here's the amazing thing. God didn't conclude Joseph's life, his story, with him being in jail. And he also hasn't concluded your life, your story in this moment. And so whether you're dealing with conflict right now, you're struggling with a conflict that continues to maybe even resurface time and time again, or maybe in a conflict in the future, God is not done with you yet. There is hope. And the third root of conflict is this, insensitivity. Maybe that's a curveball. Maybe you didn't expect that to be the case, but insensitivity. Number one, we see from, uh, from, from previous reading, from a previous part of, the, of the, the message, Joseph's brothers were insensitive, right? Joseph's brothers disregarded Joseph, his feelings, his well-being, his life. They were insensitive in all ways. They didn't care for him. And then as we move forward in, in, in chapter 40 of Genesis, and I'm just going to summarize this for just a moment. Joseph is put in jail, and he's in there and in the king's prison. So he's in there with other people that, that, so to speak, have done wrong in the mind and the heart of the king. And so as he's in this place, he becomes a model prisoner, right? In all that he does, he does it all for the glory of God. He becomes a model prisoner. He says, look, I'm going to do the best I can. I'm going to shed the light on however I can. I'm going to show people God's love and what it means to be obedient. And regardless of my circumstance, I want people to know him. And so as he's in there, he becomes a trustee and two prisoners, former attendants of the Pharaoh, one, uh, they both have dreams. And, and, and one of the dreams that they have is one of, of basically success, of celebration. You're going to be exalted. You're going to be brought out of this place. Things are going to go well for you. And the other one, the other one has really kind of a, a nightmare, so to speak. Things are going to go poorly for you. You're going you're gonna to lose it. And in fact, you're going to lose your life even. And as time goes on and, 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 uh, and, and the dreams become fulfilled, the, the one who has the good dream, uh, the one that has the, this good uh, response and is, is told, hey, here's what's going to happen. It's going to be positive in your life. Basically tells Joseph, hey, I'm going to watch out for you. I'm going to look out for you. I'm going to tell the, the, the Pharaoh what you did for me. And as that happens and everything goes well and that person is exalted and they go forward to the Pharaoh, here's the thing. They didn't tell the Pharaoh anything about Joseph. In fact, he forgot entirely. And we talk about insensitivity. That's insensitive, in, that is insensitivity. Think about that for a moment. Two years pass by. I would imagine every morning Joseph wakes up. He gets up in the morning. He does his morning prayers. He, you know, sweeps around the prison. I don't know what a trustee in a prison does, but he gets everything together and kind of just sits there in anticipation. Maybe today's the day when this guy remembers, hey, I'm going to tell the Pharaoh that I'm the reason I'm here today or that he, I'm the re he's the reason, whatever words make that make sense is what I wanted to say. <laughs> I love the way that scripture is so matter of fact though. Two years went by, as if that's just a snap of the fingers, right? 
If you're struggling with conflict, if you're struggling with conflict, a week can seem like two years. An hour can seem like two years. And here this guy sitting in prison for two years waiting for something to happen. And the reality is the second point under that one is the cupbearer forgot about Joseph. Sometimes we can feel forgotten by people. We can, be, we can feel forgotten by, you know, getting passed over for a job or for whatever it might be. But let me tell you right now, sometimes the worst part is this. Sometimes it can be difficult because we feel like we've been forgotten by God. His timing is perfect. I don't know who needs to hear this today, but his timing is perfect. When he does something, it is right on time. And while it may not be the same timing that we want, you can know this, God has not forgotten about you. He sees you. He hears you. He loves you. He walks through this conflict with you, this perfect storm as we talked about last week. He walks through it with you. Don't give up. Walk with God. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, as we kind of move into this understanding of what the rot of conflict is, it says, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other just, in, just as in Christ God forgave you. Here Paul is, is writing a letter to the Ephesians. He's letting them know this bitterness is going to hurt you. And that's the first point under the, the, the rot of conflict specifically, Bitterness. Bitterness is, is, is the main core that brings a rot to our spirit when it comes to conflict. The, the, the posturing, the humble posturing of Joseph in this time, if he were to walk through it with a bitterness towards his brothers, a bitterness towards Potiphar's wife, a bitterness towards Potiphar, a bitterness towards the cupbearer, a bitterness towards God, it would have destroyed him. I've often heard that bitterness is, or, or holding a grudge is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Bitterness only hurts you. I'll take that back. It hurts you the worst. It hurts everyone because when you are in, a bitter, in, in an embittered place, that what happens is you hurt the church as well because of your lack of being able to participate in the way God wants you to. But bitterness ultimately primarily hurts you first and the most. Matthew 6, 14 and 15 reads, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Mark eleven twenty five 25 says, And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. As we go in a a few moments uh, into this portion of the service looking at communion, part of the the core of that is recognizing that we don't hold bitterness towards others or towards God, but instead we come before God with a clear heart, an open heart to be able to, to love others and to love Him in unity. Unforgiveness is the second portion, the second understanding of the rot of conflict. Now, bitterness and, 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 and unforgiveness are closely linked, but let me tell you, you can, you can be one without the other. You can still uh, live a life and not be bitter, but have that unforgiveness towards another. And what we look at and how we understand unforgiveness should be in the light of, of Romans chapter 12. It says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. 
Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If, the, if he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let me rewind for a minute because I know sometimes, especially when maybe you're younger or younger in faith, you read this part of, the, of verse 20 and it says, in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And you might read that and think, oh, I'm getting back at them because I've, I've put coals on their head and they have to deal with the fact that I've been killing them with kindness, right? That's, that's not what it is at all. In fact, the, the original audience would have understood this to mean something very important. Fire was life back then. Fire was how you cooked, how you stayed warm, how you did many different things. Fire was so important. And the way that you transported fire wasn't to put it out because they didn't really just have matches or a torch to be able to light their fire the next place that they would go or wherever they might travel. Instead, they would take their fire with them and they would carry it in a container above their head. And so what this is actually saying is not, let me kill them with kindness, but instead, let me bring life to them. And how we see that symbolically, spiritually speaking, is even though you may have someone who regards you as an enemy, you still shed the light of Jesus in their life. That fire that they talk about here is only symbolic. Heaping hot coals on the head is only symbolic to reveal the fact that we are to be the light of the world. And oftentimes that happens in the midst of conflict, in the midst of those that are really hard to forgive. The resolution of conflict. Finally, we come to the resolution here in, in verse, uh, in chapter 41. I'm going to read just a few verses here. It says, when two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile when one of the rivers there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. And, and after them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the riverbanks. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek, fat cows. And then Pharaoh woke up. And it's interesting here as the dream continues and things move forward, it's interesting here that, that Pharaoh's having these dreams and all of a sudden, you know, God's bringing forth this opportunity for him to have this, this, this revelation, this mysterious revelation. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, a memory is jogged. And the cupbearer says, you know what? I recognize that nobody is able to give you any kind of understanding on this dream. But I remember a guy. Where did he live? Let me think for a minute. Let me, I don't know if the cupbearer pulled out like the yellow pages and was like, or the white pages was like, huh. Oh yeah, he's in prison. And I don't know if for a minute he kind of had any kind of guilt. Like I was supposed to do something about that two years ago. But he tells Pharaoh about this, this, this guy that, that's in jail. And, and I'm sure Pharaoh thought, I know that guy too. And so as the, 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 the this historical account moves on and down to verse 14, it says, So Pharaoh sent for Joseph. 
and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. And when, he, he, and when he had shaved and changed his clothes, so it was like, okay, you can't be in my presence until you are, you are presentable enough. When he had, he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh told him about the dream and brought forth this opportunity for him to be able to use his gift once again. Here is what is going on. Here's what's going to happen in Egypt. Here's the issue that is coming forward. And Pharaoh was so excited, so happy that he, he brought Joseph back to a place where he was, he, was, he was looked at once again as someone in high esteem, someone who was able to, to bring forth a, uh, a purpose, a real purpose in the kingdom. And as it continues on, I'm going to jump to, to chapter 50, actually, as it continues on, as, the, as the, uh, the, the dream comes to fruition and the dream actually indicated there was going to be a time, a seven years of, of famine where things were going to be difficult, not just for, uh, for, for Egypt, but also for the surrounding areas. And I'll, I'll back up for a moment because I forgot the point, or I forgot to give you the point. Uh, forbearance is the first one, which means patient, self-control, restraint. We see that this resolution comes in an understanding that sometimes we're going to have to wait until God's timing. We're going to have to wait through these things, but not just wait and sit there and look at our clock, but instead to serve God, to love God through the process within. And then jumping to chapter 50 in verse 18, it reads like this, his brothers then came. They're experiencing the, the result of this famine as well. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. And this is after some interaction and after this, the you know, father came and all the different things. And verse 19 says, but Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? He still humbly understood his place, that he was not God. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done and saving of, of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he assured them and spoke kindly to them. Forgiveness. You know, in resolution of conflict, this is probably the hardest part. Some might be able to walk through it without bitterness. Some might be able to walk through it and, and wait on the Lord's timing. But that forgiveness in conflict. Because oftentimes, especially in this situation, we recognize the fact that we weren't in the wrong. I wasn't wrong, right? We've never said that. But forgiveness still came. Have you ever asked how, it can, how you can possibly forgive somebody who brought so much conflict into your life? Have you ever asked God for the strength to be able to forgive somebody, to forgive that person that maybe was so close to you, though they brought so much conflict? Consider Joseph's example of forgiveness. Eventually, Joseph was exalted back into this second-in-command in Egypt. He was brought back to this place. And eventually, his brothers, as they stood before him, he had the opportunity at that point, the power and the opportunity to imprison them or to put them to death. After all, they had sold him. They had given him away. They had put him into slavery. And he, ex he experienced ups and downs and all the things that went along with it. And he could have said, fine, it's my turn now. But instead, he forgave them. How could such treatment happen to a man, a man of God, that he had chosen to be a ruler? How could this happen? Because God was forming his character in the process. 
And God knew that he could be exalted back to that level, back to that place because of the character he had and the faith and the obedience that he had in the one true God. Joseph's forgiveness, it's interesting as, it, as, it, as he kind of walks through this, his forgiveness is extended in a way not just for his brothers, but also there's a forgiveness there, a recognition of forgiveness to the God who allowed it all to happen. And Colossians 3.13 commands, forgive as the Lord forgave you. A forgiveness of people, a forgiveness of how we may be experiencing unforgiveness or bitterness towards God. In a moment, we're going to transition and experience a time of, of receiving the elements of communion together. And communion is basically us communing in this place, coming together in unity to experience a means of grace, an opportunity to, to take the elements, something that was instructed by Jesus, demonstrated by Jesus, but also that brings forth an opportunity through tangible means to be able to grow in our faith. And with that growth, it's not specifically something where we just take action and we kind of walk through it and we check the boxes and we move on, but this growth also brings forth an opportunity for us to be moved, to be changed, to be transformed. It is my sense, it's my understanding, it's my recognition that there's probably in this room and or joining online individuals who are holding, who are feeling, who have bitterness and or unforgiveness towards another or towards God. There's a possibility that conflict has brought you to a place where you are frustrated with things that have happened or are happening in your life. But the amazing thing about God is he doesn't leave us in that place, but he gives us what I call wake-up calls or an opportunity to raise our level of awareness so that we can be aware of maybe the blind spots or the different things in our lives, the places in our lives that are causing us to, to, to keeping us from growing and, and, and stepping into the next paradigm, the next place, the next step that God has in our life. But this morning, as we engage in this place, as we engage in this moment of communion, we can step forward different, changed, made new, because this is a reminder of who God is and what he's done. This is a reminder of a place where we can say goodbye to the bitterness we're holding, step forward and say, God, I want you to have me. I know that you are there. I'm walking through this struggle, but I know uh, without a shadow of a doubt that I need to give up this frustration, this bitterness, this unforgiveness. A means of grace is a, is a moment to receive, to experience grace afresh and anew in a deeper way. Thank you again for spending time with us today. Thank you especially to those of you who give to CCWC. It is through your faithfulness that makes this ministry possible. Also, if you have any questions about today's teaching or if you want to learn more about CCWC, feel free to contact our office, check the web, or follow us on our social media platforms. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we do encourage you to take a moment to subscribe and share it with friends. Let this be a blessing to someone else that you love in your life. You're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning for worship, or until then, we'll catch you on the next one. God bless. God bless.